Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Tales to Terrify, part of the District of Wonders network. Featuring Starship Sofa and Far-Fetched Fables, everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. Good evening, children of the night. I'm happy you could join us for another episode of Tales to Terrify. I have a brief note of housekeeping for those folks that are, or will, undertake the effort of listening to our enormous back catalogue of episodes in regards to our advertisements with Acast. In previous episodes, I have touched on how our hosting company handles advertisements. When a company goes to Acast and explains that they'd like to market their product or service on some podcasts, they then find a handful of podcasts they feel would be a good fit for their advertisements, And then there is the choice of having yours truly, read some copy, or use their own material. Then when I upload every episode, I get to choose a spot somewhere in the middle of the episode in which my own recorded read of copy or the provided one is inserted automatically. And those two things have nothing to do with each other. I put the marker in typically well before I know that Acast has someone that thinks that Tales to Terrify's listeners might be interested in whatever they have on offer. Why is this relevant to the people who are going through the back catalog? Well, when we switch to Acast, all new episodes we put in the midpoint marker so that ideally any advertisements that are injected into an episode don't interrupt the flow of the show. However, all of the episodes prior to that switch, we collectively decided that we're not going to go through 100 plus episodes to find that perfect moment for where an advertisement is going to go. And the default is precisely 50% of the way through the episode. Therefore, if you're listening to an old episode and Acast decides that it's time to hear from your sponsors, it very well may be right in the middle of a story mid-sentence. The staff has concluded that it is what it is, and we do receive emails from people who are unhappy about that from time to time. 
Generally, the explanation that I just gave to you is understood and accepted when it's given to folks that have given us feedback as well. Sometimes we do get the offer that someone listened to those many long hours of Tales to Terrify back episodes and provide where they feel the perfect spot is, and then we could go back and touch it up for the next person who may go through there. In the past, I've declined, but I think that if someone did give me a list of episodes and where they thought it should go, I'd probably put it as a sort of low-priority task to touch up that ad marker. But when it comes to listener statistics, people going through the old stuff is pretty uncommon. Which is a lengthy way of saying, if you're listening to episode 15, and you get an advertisement jammed right into the middle of the story, we know. And currently we have no plans to dedicate resources to remedying it for the one or two people a month who might listen to that on the off chance that would be the time that ACAST gives us advertisements. On a much more lighter note, our first story of the night is the only author that has the distinction having written something that I have a clear memory of skipping a reading assignment in school. In, oh, I think it was middle school, I had the assignment of Stephen Crane's The Red Badge of Courage, and I skipped that one. It's been returned to my reading list, so I'll remedy that at some point in the future. Just before we hear a bit from Stephen Crane's biography, my favorite line from him. A man said to the universe, Sir, I exist. However, replied the universe, the fact has not created in me a sense of obligation. Stephen Crane was an American poet, novelist, and short story writer. Prolific throughout his short life, he wrote notable works in the realist tradition as well as early examples of American naturalism and impressionism. He is recognized by modern critics as one of the most innovative writers in his generation. Having little interest in university studies, he left college in 1891 to work as a reporter and writer. Crane's first novel was the 1893 Bowery tale, Maggie, A Girl of the Streets, generally considered by critics to be the first work of American literary naturalism. He won international acclaim in 1895 for his Civil War novel, The Red Badge of Courage, which he wrote without having any battle experience. During the final years of his life, he covered conflicts in Greece, accompanied by his common-law wife, Cora Crane, recognized as the first woman war correspondent, and later lived in England with her. He was befriended by writers such as Joseph Conrad and H.G. Wells. Plagued by financial difficulties and ill health, Crane died of tuberculosis in a black forest sanatorium in Germany at the age of 28. At the time of his death, Crane was considered an important figure in American literature. After he was nearly forgotten for two decades, critics revived interest in his life and work. His writing made a deep impression on 20th century writers, most prominent among them Ernest Hemingway, and is thought to have inspired the modernists and the imagists. Children of the Night, listen with me to Stephen Crane's A Ghoul's Accountant. In a wilderness, sunlight is noise. Darkness is a great, tremendous silence, accented by small and distant sounds. The music of the wind in the trees is songs of loneliness, hymns of abandonment, and lays of the absence of things congenial and alive. 
Once a campfire lay dying in a fit of temper. A few weak flames struggled cholerically among the burned-out logs. Beneath, a mass of angry red coals glowered and hated the world. Some hemlocks sighed and sung, and a wind purred in the grass. The moon was looking through the locked branches at four imperturbable bundles of blankets which lay near the agonized campfire. The fire groaned in its last throes, but the bundles made no sign. Off in the gloomy unknown, a foot fell upon a twig, and the laurel leaves shivered at the stealthy passing of danger. A moment later a man crept into the spot of dim light. His skin was fiercely red, and his whiskers infinitely black. He gazed at the four passive bundles, and smiled a smile that curled his lips, and showed yellow, disordered teeth. The campfire threw up two lurid arms, and, quivering, expired. The voices of the trees grew hoarse and frightened. The bundles were stolid. The intruder stepped softly nearer, and looked at the bundles. One was shorter than the others. He regarded it for some time, motionless. The hemlocks quivered nervously, and the grass shook. The intruder slid the short bundle and touched it. Then he smiled. The bundle partially upreared itself, and the head of a little man appeared. Lord, he said. He found himself looking at the grin of a ghoul condemned to torment. Come, croaked the ghoul. What? said the little man. He began to feel his flesh slide to and fro on his bones as he looked into this smile. Come, croaked the ghoul. What? the little man whimpered. He grew gray and could not move his legs. The ghoul lifted a three-pronged pickerel spear and flashed it near the little man's throat. He saw the menace on its points. He struggled heavily to his feet. He cast his eyes upon the remaining mummy-like bundles, but the ghoul confronted his face with a spear. Where? shivered the little man. The ghoul turned and pointed into the darkness. His countenance shone with a lurid light of triumph. Go! he croaked. The little man blindly staggered in the direction indicated. The three bundles by the fire were still immovable. He tried to pierce the cloth with a glance and opened his mouth to whoop, but the spear ever threatened his face. The bundles were left far in the rear and the little man stumbled on alone with the ghoul. Tangled thickets tripped him, saplings buffeted him, and stones turned away from his feet. Blinded and badgered, he began to swear frenziedly. A foam drifted to his mouth, and his eyes glowed with a blue light. Go on! thunderously croaked the ghoul. The little man's blood turned to salt. His eyes began to decay, and refused to do their office. He fell from gloom to gloom. 
At last a house was before him. Through a yellow papered window shone an uncertain light. The ghoul conducted his prisoner to an uneven threshold and kicked the decrepit door. It swung, groaning back, and he dragged the little man into the room. A soiled oil lamp gave a feeble light that turned the pine-board walls and furniture a dull orange. Before a table sat a wild, gray man. The ghoul threw his victim upon the chair and went and stood by the man. They regarded the little man with eyes that made wheels revolve in his soul. He cast a dazed glance about the room and saw vaguely that it was disheveled from a terrific scuffle. Chairs lay scattered and dishes in the cupboard were ground to pieces. Destruction had been present. There were moments of silence. The ghoul and the wild gray man contemplated their victim. A throw of fear passed over him and he sank limp in his chair. His eyes swept feverishly over the faces of his tormentors. At last, the ghoul spoke. Well, he said to the wild gray man. The other cleared his throat and stood up. Stranger, he said suddenly, how much is thirty-three bushels of pertaters at sixty-four and a half a bushel? The ghoul leaned forward to catch the reply. The wild gray man straightened his figure and listened. A fierce light shone on their faces. Their breaths came swiftly. The little man wriggled his legs in agony. Twenty-one, no, six and... Quick, hissed the ghoul hoarsely. Twenty-one dollars and twenty-eight cents and a half, stuttered the little man. The ghoul gave a tremendous howl. There, Tom Jones, darn ya, he yelled. What did I tell yer? Hey, ain't I right? See, didn't I tell yer that? The wild gray man's body shook. He was delivered of a frightful roar. He sprang forward and kicked the little man out the door. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. That was Stephen Crane's A Ghoul's Accountant, as read by Jonathan Sharp. Jonathan is a regular narrator for the District of Wonders network and is a producer for Audible through the ACX platform. By day, he slings cheese and wine at a local grocer, and by night, he loses at board games to his infinitely more talented wife, Paige. Recently, in an attempt to hide from the sun, they have transplanted themselves in the Pacific Northwest and are soaking up the rain using their new puppy-slash-mud sponge, Finn. You can find links and information about Jonathan at his website, www.sharpandvoice.com. Link will be in the show notes, and thank you, Jonathan. Our second story of the night comes to us from a fellow who lives somewhere not too far from myself. William R. D. Wood traces his love of science fiction and horror back to a childhood filled with classic Universal Studios monsters. Space 1999 reruns a worn-out copy of Dune, and Heavy Metal magazine. His work has appeared in Nature magazine, the Lovecraft e-zine, and the Chilling Horror short stories anthology, among others. A good writing day often finds him at any of several favorite overlooks on the Blue Ridge Parkway, deeply immersed in a new work of cosmic horror. William lives with his wife and children in Virginia's Shenandoah Valley in an old farmhouse turned backwards to the road, If you're in the neighborhood, stop by and sit a spell. Otherwise, feel free to check out www.williamrdwood.com. And listen with me to William R. D. Wood's The Dew of Heaven Like Ashes. Bree didn't feel sad necessarily. But the tears came just the same, smearing the black soot coating her cheeks. All she truly felt was tired and thirsty. Everything else lacked certainty. She'd been on foot for hours. The VW was dead in a ditch somewhere, far behind on a stretch of unfamiliar country road just like this one. The black dust that hung in the air everywhere was thicker here, drifting in clouds like fog. Her arms ached from swinging the bat, but she waved the length of polished wood in the swirl ahead, shaking it as the dust clung in each gouge and chip. A signature ran down one side of the bat. Someone famous from when her dad was a boy. He'd been so proud. The name was illegible, 
but the words beneath were not. Serenity, courage, wisdom. Now the bat was crusty with the dried blood and guts of the abominations that came for her time and again. Her body tensed at the thought, the muscles between her shoulder blades cramping. Her face was tight and hot. When she brushed at the dust, the skin on her cheek tingled beneath her touch. The unforgiving July sun was partially blocked by the airborne dust, but enough UV was getting through that her cheeks stung. A chemical burn, maybe. It had been bothering her since the first day. The first day. The thought lingered in her head. How many days? Had it been only days? To the left, an old farmhouse crouched on the ground, streaks of white siding peeking through smears of the dust. Across the dirt road from the farmhouse stood stalks of maize, swaying oddly out of sync with the breeze. A bird swooped down, skimming alongside the closest row. Bree flinched as an ear of maize snapped open, silky tendrils snatching the creature from the air, sinking into feathers as kernels, like tiny teeth, took it apart. Black smoke drifted away from the stalk as blood seeped between the leaves. Her grip tightened on the bat, then slackened as she turned away, unsure if the squeal came from the bird or the maze. Serenity to accept the things I cannot change, she thought. She just needed rest. Not to think. Not to run. Not to fight. How's that working out for you? She mumbled to herself. Bree shuffled down the dirt drive toward the old farmhouse with its white picket fence and clapboard shutters. She took shallow breaths, hoping to minimize the amount of dust getting into her lungs. She knew the attempt was ultimately futile. And, honestly, this stuff didn't have a smell. A hint of must, maybe. Mostly it just felt wet in your nose. It couldn't possibly be healthy. She smiled. That was just the sort of observation her father would make. People always said she inherited her father's smile. That man could be happy in the middle of anything. Her smile now tugging at skin drawn tight over her cheeks, was just a reminder her sunburn was going to be a major problem by morning. No car sat in the drive or along the sides of the house. They could have escaped the farm, of course. Hell, maybe they didn't even have a vehicle. But then, how could anyone living on a farm survive without a vehicle? No, they either fled the farm or had parked around back, the ruts in the gravel drive extended around the left side of the house, so that could be it. The prospect of a working vehicle quickened her pace. The screen door of the house swung wide, the twang of the return spring loud and sharp in the still air. A woman in a yellowed nightgown and unlaced boots stepped into view, the shade from the low-slung wooden roof casting her face in shadow. Holding the bat at her side, Bree raised her free hand in a wave, her throat too parched to call out. The ground to her right exploded, thunder booming across the yard. Dirt and specks of rock showered her as she staggered to the left. Get off my land, shouted the woman, her voice old and shrill. The sleek black muzzle of a shotgun poked out of the shadow, glinting in a stray swath of sunlight. 
Don't much care if I kill you or not. The ground Tabriz left erupted. She stumbled back a step, uncertain if the woman was that bad of a shot or that good. Glancing over her shoulder toward the dirt road, Bree tried to remain focused as she moved slowly back the way she'd come. The sweltering heat and her exhaustion made it difficult to remain calm, but she seemed to be pulling on reserves she'd had denied she had a week ago. She turned back to the crazy old woman. Didn't she realize how dangerous making noise could be? Of course, maybe living way out here, she didn't. She wasn't sure, but a distant buzz seemed to ride on the rustling of the may stalks. Courage to change the things I can. The world had gone insane, but she should still warn the woman. Ma'am, you've got to be quiet. Thunder blasted outward again from the porch, and Bree felt the wind from a massive buckshot whiz by her, several tiny pieces striking her right shoulder. Fire lanced through her arm and neck, and she dropped the bat as she dashed toward the end of the drive. Once safely out of range of the shotgun, she looked back at the bat, lying in the dirt. She'd find something else to defend herself with. Still, she hated losing the only thing she had from before. This wasn't worth it. If she stayed, the woman would kill her, and if not, the blasts from the shotgun were sure to attract unwanted attention from something more mobile than the maze. Either way, she would be dead if she didn't hurry away from this place. A hum like a tiny engine filled the air as a shadow flitted overhead. An instant later, another. Bree dropped to her knees, Gaze snapping from the flying creatures to the old woman to her bat, Bree dared a glance down the road. A heavy cloud like ink and water swirled in the distance, the hum in the air growing to a muted roar, like a distant storm. Scrambling to her feet, she bolted for the farmhouse, slowing just enough to snatch the bat from the ground. Thunder cracked once, then twice, sending Bree dodging to one side. But the shots were not directed at her. The old woman swung the shotgun at a bug as it swooped in, drawing closer with each pass. The woman lost her balance and toppled down the stairs. Her cry of pain was punctuated by a hollow snap as the force of her fall busted a wooden step. Still, even as she came to rest on the ground, she whipped the shotgun out at the attacking bug. The bugs were only centimeters long, about the size of a small bird, but they moved fast. At least the old woman was a fighter. The second bug, hovering clear of the fight, must have noticed Bree. With a dip in the air, it moved in her direction. Still running, pain radiating from her shoulder, Bree swung the bat, connecting with a crunch. The bug hurtled back toward the house. Momentum carrying her forward, she saw the woman crawling up the stairs as the other bug's stinger planted in her neck. The old woman convulsed, one arm outstretched toward the doorway, as if the house offered some sort of protection. The unscreened windows to each side were propped open. After all, it should have been a relaxing, if breezeless, summer scorcher. The hum behind her was a rumble. She'd never be able to lock the place down before the swarm hit. She'd seen the things come crashing through the window panes before, their chitinous heads tucked against their bodies as they shattered the glass. She veered left toward the back of the house. There could be a vehicle there, 
Just because Granny had been home didn't mean she couldn't leave. And where would she go that was more remote? More safe? Where could she go to get away from nature? Bree skidded to a halt. A rusty old pickup rested in the middle of the backyard, wheelless rims atop stacked cinder blocks. One door hung ajar from a single hinge. Beyond the truck leaned a rickety wooden shed, some of the planks fallen away. Twenty meters further on, the Sea of Maze. Her shoulders slumped and tears formed in the corners of her eyes. The dust really must be an irritant. She wasn't the weeby sort, but she'd been crying on and off since... You come out here to me, little girl, her father had said on the phone before the line went dead. Come on right away, and we'll figure this thing out. Her father had overcome his weakness the day she was born, dropping the bottle in the trash for good. He'd always known what to say, what to do, every time she'd come to him growing up. What do I do now, Daddy? The dust swirled madly all around. The beat of the approaching swarm rose to a din, a vibration she could feel as much as hear. A shadow fell across the yard as the black cloud rose over the house. The ground beneath her feet began to shake. The back of the house was a blank wall, broken only by a pair of small windows, both open and too far off the ground to reach even with a running start. Two sun-bleached stacks of wood lay propped up against the back wall on top of a pile of concrete blocks. A lump formed in her throat, and her stomach felt as if she were falling. She wasn't going to make it this time. Her fingers grasped the bat. Serenity. Courage. Wisdom. Taking a deep breath, she turned to face the cloud rising over the house. The shadow slid across the two wooden doors. They weren't just discarded boards leaning against the wall. They were doors. Bree raced for the storm cellar. Instantly grateful the old woman hadn't seen fit to padlock the doors, she whipped one side open and jumped inside, just as one of the bugs struck the other door, rattling its hinges. Fighting for balance on the wobbly old set of stairs, she snatched the door closed, sliding a two-by-four latch into place. Easing backwards down the stairs, she watched the wavering beams of light slip through gaps in the heavy boards. The double doors shook with impacts like hammer blows. A step gave way beneath her foot, and she pitched forward, catching herself with her hands as her foot sent something made of glass skidding across the floor and plowing noisily into empty cans. Long seconds passed as the assault continued. Bree squinted into the shadowy cellar. No windows. The only light in the room came through the cracks in the cellar doors, affording her fleeting glimpses of glass jars filled with peppers and mushrooms. An entire shelf next to a set of stairs leading up into the house was loaded with gallon jugs of water. There were other shelves, but she couldn't make out what they held. The dank smell of the place clung in her nose as if it had a life of its own. She shuddered. Not her first choice of shelter, but as long as the bugs didn't get in, she'd be able to hole up here for a while. Moving cautiously through the dark, she waded through more bottles which clinked against one another in her wake. 
A fan of light winked and shifted from beneath the door leading into the house. The scratching and buzzing from the other side was message enough that she should stay put. Eyes growing used to the darkness, Bree noticed a small amber light at the base of the stairs. She pulled the combination nightlight flashlight from the outlet and switched it on. Might as well have a quick look around. The beam was weak. Power must have gone out and let the nightlight function drain the battery. The basement was bigger than she'd thought. Hard-packed dirt formed the floor, uneven in places, but smooth. The shelves she hadn't been able to see before held boxes marked clothes, mostly. A couple she couldn't see must be torn open, judging by the clothing scattered on the floor. The canned goods were many and varied, though, and her mind wandered for an instant on how she might go about opening one. The drone of thousands of wings outside swallowed up the sounds of her footsteps, but not the growing buzz rising in the air behind her. Bree whipped the bat up and spun. The bug was a big one, same perverted version as the ones outside. Must have made it through the cellar door when she had. Guess you guys don't see so well in the dark either. Bree tossed the flashlight to one side, hearing the buzz shift as the creature went after the light. It dropped onto the flashlight, disturbing the motes of black dust drifting in the beam. Bird-like claws dug into the cylinder as its scorpion-like tail stabbed repeatedly at the plastic. Her bat connected on the first swing, crumpling the bug's body in a splatter of pus and blood. She stared at the thing. This was the first time she'd taken a good look. The body was small and feathered, hummingbird-like, but the tail was long and thin and ended in a bob sporting a serrated stinger. The head she wasn't sure about, but it was a bony version of a bird, only with a coiled proboscis like a butterfly instead of a beak. She retched, at once glad she hadn't eaten lately, and doubly that she retained enough sanity to react at all. The thing was an abomination. How did it even know how to fly? And how did those dogs on campus sprout tentacles from their mouths and turn on their owners? How did they know how to... use them? But they did just the same. Just like all the affected animals and plants. As if something deep in their genetic code had been coiled and waiting to pounce. Using a cloth from a shelf, she wiped the flashlight down and panned it around looking for other intruders as the hum from outside quieted. Another yellow pinpoint of light glowed in the corner of the cellar farthest from both sets of stairs. Bree tiptoed toward the light, a second flashlight she could hold in reserve. A few meters from the light, the floor squished. She jerked her foot back, tested the surface gingerly. Her flashlight was all but useless now, but the ground seemed firm enough, so she continued on, only slower. The dirt had become spongy, like moss or a freshly tilled garden. Crouching in front of her target, she realized the tiny light was coming from the floor, not the wall. If it were an LED on a charging flashlight, the light wasn't plugged into an outlet. Bree played the rapidly failing beam across the floor toward the yellow light. Lumps formed a miniature alien landscape, ending in a mushroom the size of her thumbnail. A sickly yellow light coming from the mutant fungus pulsed like a beating heart. Bree shivered.
fungus. That was the dank, musty smell she'd recoiled from when she first entered the cellar. Not unlike the scent of the black dust that had become a part of everything these last few days. Poking at the yellow glow with her toe, she watched the light intensify. She clenched her jaw and brought her heel down sharply on the fungus, grinding it into the soft earth. In two strides, she was clear of the mushroom garden. The sounds from outside were fading, the spokes of light poking through the storm cellar doors growing brighter. Fewer and fewer thumps shook the doors, so she moved close enough to see a sliver of the yard through a gap. The ground was black with the undulating mass of birds. They'd give up and move on soon. She hoped. A series of soft clicks from behind startled Bree, and she spun, bat at the ready. A ray of light speared across the cellar, framing the dead bug perfectly. Tugging at the carcass was a mouse with too many legs, all spindly and multi-jointed. Large black eyes in the middle of a red hourglass skull fixed on her. Its mouth spread wide in a hiss, exposing two large, flat teeth. When she came to herself, Bree was standing over a smear of fur and legs, her grip relaxing on the bat, her heart hammering in her chest. She nodded to herself. The fatigue was getting to her. Sooner or later, she was going to have to sleep. Slumping onto the bottom most of the inside stairs, she leaned the bat against the handrail and kicked away a moldy old boot on the floor to make room so she could spread out. Just a few minutes. She didn't need long. Placing her face in one palm, she brushed at the dust on one leg of her jeans. Something heavy shifted in her pocket, and she remembered her phone. She didn't know why she even kept the thing. It had been dead since yesterday. Every extra ounce she carried was an ounce slower she'd be able to run. But she did know why. How long ago had she spoken to her dad? She'd been in the dorm lounge overlooking the bio-building when the first report came in. Live from the National Zoo, a news crew had been there covering the president's visit with his children. Something off-camera caused the children to scream, and the network cut away. Bree woke, a stair-step cutting into her already aching back. The cellar was darker than before, no light spilling in through the cracks in the outside doors. Pushing to her feet, she stumbled, her right foot completely numb. She must have pinched off the blood supply the way she'd fallen asleep. She shifted her weight back and forth, waiting for the pins and needles of restored circulation. The outline of her shoe stood out against the blackness, a faint yellow glow like a cheap glow stick becoming brighter as she watched. She looked toward the mushroom garden. A pinpoint of light pulsed in the corner, illuminating a second boot like the one by the stairs. Beyond that, a pair of crusty overalls stretched out flat. Several sets of clothes lay strewn about the spongy section of the floor. A choked sob escaped her lips. Bree snatched the old boot from the floor, hurling it toward the glow. Two steps toward the stairs leading to the outside world, and her hand tingled. Numbness spread up her arm for where she touched the boot. Her feet tangled in something in the dark, the sound of ripping cloth filling her ears as she fell. Cold crept along her skin, 
as dampness flooded her nostrils. Her skull throbbed, pressure pushing the inside of her forehead, threatening to crack the bone. No, God, please. With her good leg and working hand, she scrambled up the stairs. Balanced on one foot, Bree smacked at the latch. The board moved but only a centimeter, if that. Drawing back, she put every bit of strength she had left into the second blow. The SWAT connected, and the board flew free, but she sacrificed what little balance she had. For an instant, she wondered why the doors were getting farther away. Then she realized she was falling, toppling backwards. She spun as she fell, landing flat on her back, her head striking the floor with the crack she was sure meant a fractured skull. White-hot pain burned behind her eyes, and she wavered somewhere at the edge of the darkness, screaming inside her head not to pass out. She had to keep moving. She had to get out. Or did she? Serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Courage to change the things I can. Wisdom to know the difference. Her fight had been a long one. Now was the time to make the wise decision. The world was dead or dying. Nothing would be left unchanged. She'd seen the animals, the plants. Surely whatever was changing them would also be destroying whatever remained of... She choked at the thought. People. Nothing would ever be the same. She could hardly feel her body at all. Every twitch of her muscles seemed a hundred kilometers away. Faintly, she sensed something moving along her neck, then her chin, across her lips. She was reminded of a snail, creeping along a viscous trail. Her arm twitched at her side, but did not move enough to brush the thing away. A tiny yellow light rose up onto the tip of her nose, blinking in sync with her beating heart. Tendrils probed the edges of her nostrils and mouth, snaking in. She considered screaming, but didn't. Wisdom to know the difference. Light exploded in her eyes, purple and gold. The smells of childhood flooded from forgotten memories. Air brushed against her skin like a summer breeze, and she heard the crack of a baseball game in the distance. Daddy left, standing nearby in the sunlight. He leaned on a bat, a smile on his face. The bat. His, then hers. Because he loved her. Warmth flooded through her body, fear ebbing away as her dad waited patiently, just as he always had. The sunlight caught his face just right, and his skin seemed to glow. Bree reached out. Her arm was sluggish, bumping against her body as she stretched. Darkness flickered at the edges of her vision. Tears ran backwards along the sides of her face. She knew she was standing in the field with her dad, but the witness flowed along the sides of her face as though she were lying flat on her back. But that wasn't possible. She opened her mouth to speak, but her lips seemed frozen in the moment. Just as well. She didn't need to speak. 
She never had because he always knew just what to say and just when to say it. And any moment, she knew just what he'd say. Serenity, Bray. Courage and wisdom. Wisdom to know the difference. The summer day grew dark, the breeze chill. Bree's arm flopped into view, fingers pinching at a light on her face. Threads tugged at her lips and nose, at the corners of her eyes, as she whipped the tiny mushroom away. Pinpricks tickled her face, hints of pain but far away. The swirling lights faded, taking with them the fondest of memories. Numb and clumsy, arms and legs flailing, Bree heaved herself up one step, then another. Pain tested the edge of her senses as she clenched her jaw, crushing rubbery tendrils between her teeth. Her thoughts grew crisper with each exertion. Endless moments strung together as she struggled up the few stairs until finally she rolled onto the dirt beneath the starry sky. Her fingers ached as she loosened her grip on the wooden shaft of the bat she somehow managed to retrieve without conscious effort. The world beyond was dark, the shadows swaying in an odd rhythm. Somewhere out beyond those fields, her dad was waiting. Using the bat to steady herself, Bree pushed to her feet, pins and needles dancing along her toes and fingers. She glanced into the pit where she left her serenity and spat. She didn't know about wisdom, but she was damn sure she had some courage left. That was William R. D. Wood's The Dew of Heaven Like Ashes, first published in Tomorrow from KL Press, June 2013, and has also been published in Chilling Horror, short stories from Flame Tree Publishing, September 2015 as read by Heather Thomas. Heather Thomas is a jewelry expert by day and master of none by night, dabbling in costuming, art, music, writing, and narration. She is a lifelong fan of all things horror and enjoys reading stories and novels to her friends and family when they let her. She lives in Denver, Colorado with her husband and her spoiled, rotten cat, Ani. Thank you, Heather. That will be our show for the evening, Children of the Night. Visit our Patreon page in the links below, and don't forget to like us on Apple Podcasts. Our show is produced by our editor Scott Silk and editors Seth Williams and Drew Sebastini. Website designed by Josh Leitze and theme music by Diane Severson. Tales to Terrify is distributed under Creative Commons Attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives 4.0 license. Join us again next week for another episode of Tales to Terrify. This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network, dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website, www.districtofwonders.com. Thank you for listening.
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.